Happy Tuesday, everyone. Welcome back to Unbothered. And there's a lot to unpack. Didn't do a show yesterday. Work to tend to. But what a weekend. What a weekend, including last night's Monday night game. I'll throw that in there. Bengals-Jags, I thought, was fantastic. Great Monday night football thriller in overtime. Sunday was great. Chiefs, Packers, 49ers, Eagles. And then we got the playoffs set for college football. The playoff committee revealed their top four teams. Controversial. Still talking about it. I react to that and react to just initial matchups and things like that. But, man, I'm looking forward to getting into that segment. Then I'll finish out with my top ten teams in the NFL where we stand post-week 13. So let's get right into it. Uh, Let's start with last night's Bengals-Jags game. Uh, Bengals won 34-31. Jake Browning at quarterback. I was very surprised. Um, Picked the Jags to win. Thought the Bengals would cover, but I liked the Jags. Uh, Thought was a safer pick. Uh, But the key that I want to talk about first, and I think the reason why they lost this game, is because of a Trevor Lawrence injury. I think if he doesn't go down... Um, they win the game. Of course, the kicker missed a field goal uh, on you know the play right after he got injured. So C.J. Beathard, you know, did lead them uh, to get a game tying field goal into the second half. But the Jags get the ball to start. They get all the way to the Cincinnati forty-five, and then you know, a couple bad plays later, ends up at fourth and twenty-one. So a third and seven. Goes from a fourth and 21 to a hold. Um, so they were close. I believe if Trevor Lawrence was the quarterback, they find a way to win, especially in overtime. I think they get the win. Maybe win in regulation as C.J. Beathard got down there, uh, made some errors there late in that game. So Trevor Lawrence uh, got injured. They lost uh, injury reported by tight coach Doug Peterson. It's a high ankle sprain. So... Thankfully, that's all it was. Initially, it looked a lot worse. The offensive lineman stepping on his ankle, getting bent backwards by Trey Hendrickson. You know, initially, it didn't look good. Charter Lawrence knew he was hurt right away through his helmet. Couldn't even walk off a field. Um, and it's something I've never seen before and was talked about a little by the media today, a lot by the memes, was that Trevor Lawrence wasn't on a cart uh, out of a building. I don't, you know, I think there's a couple uh, things I want to note on that. I think if you get taken out in a cart, it's a very serious in- injury. We think it's a broken foot, broken ankle, anything like that. Maybe Trevor Lawrence wanted to tough it out, but I would have had him on a cart because it's not a good look. Even if it's a high ankle sprain, uh, can't put any foot, can't, or my bad, can't put any weight on his foot. Uh, the security guard, a police officer, is helping him with a staff member escort this guy off the field, and it just took a long time. Didn't look professional at all. So didn't like the look for the Jags. Uh, that injury, he's probably going to be out, you know, high ankle sprain, I would guess, two to three weeks. He will be out. We don't have a timetable. I don't see him playing against the Browns this week. Uh, or the Ravens, unfortunately, would be a great Sunday night game. I could see him coming back against the, the Bucks the following week, the 24th. But big loss for the Jags. 
they win that game last night, they're nine and three. I think they have a great shot of battling the um, Ravens in that Sunday night game in two weeks for the number one spot, considering the Chiefs lost um, to the Packers this past Sunday night. So that was prime position there. Unfortunately, they lose. I think costs them that number one seed, and I think they'll be locked in at the three or four. I think probably the four now, considering you know the head-to-head with the Chiefs goes to the Chiefs. I think the Ravens will beat them. That goes to the Ravens, and the Dolphins look good. So I could see them getting the four again, and possibly the toughest wild card matchup. So tough loss for the Jags. Um, but on the flip side, talking about the Bengals. They played great, and specifically, their quarterback was phenomenal. Jake Browning didn't think I would see this in Jake Browning, but 32 of 37, that's a completion percentage of 87%, 354 yards. That's average of 9.6 yards uh, completion. That's a first down every time he throws a ball. One touchdown. Uh, Only took two sacks, a QBR of 84, and a pass rating of 115. He was phenomenal. He was really good. Again, his poise in the pocket, throwing the ball, first half especially, really no incompletions. He was great. Uh, What did they do? Get the ball to their playmaker, Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase had 11 receptions on 12 targets, the one drop, made up for it on the play afterwards for 149 yards, a touchdown. He was phenomenal. Uh, Joe Mixon, they relied on him, even though he wasn't hyper-efficient. You know, 19 carries for 68 yards, two touchdowns. They leaned on him enough for the Jags to respect the run. And we also brought in Chase Brown is a good running back who was much more effective. The nine carries on 61 yards, uh, seven yards a carry. So that duo in the backfield, I thought, really helped out Jake Browning and opened up this passing game. And the defense wasn't phenomenal, but they made uh, stops when they had to. Great win by Cincinnati. Um, again, they outgained them. Uh, by over 100 yards, 491 total yards of offense for the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, fantastic. Didn't take a ton of penalties uh, either. Um, you know, 27-23 in terms of first downs. The one interception thrown last night was by Tyler Boyd and probably a pass and play the Bengals should never run again. It was abysmal. It was a 21-21 spot, and I thought after – they threw that interception, and the Jags got the ensuing touchdown to go up 28-21. I thought the game was over at that point. I thought, oh, you know, Jake Browning's having this great game. You're playing efficient offense. You try a trick play like that, and that's the one outcome you don't want to have and to happen. So I don't like that at all. Didn't think that was smart uh, by the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, but now Bengals are 6-6, six and six, Jags are 8-4. and four. And I don't think the Bengals are out of it now. I don't. Uh, you know, I was burying them, but now they're 6-6. Six and six. Guess what? They have the tiebreaker over uh, the Bills. And, you know, I looked at their schedule initially. It was tough. Now with the quarterbacks that we know, they're facing backup quarterbacks. So the Colts, you know, Gardner Minshew doesn't look promising. This could be their second toughest test of the season, but it's in Cincy. Then they play the Vikings. Uh, Josh Dobbs going downhill lately. They play the Steelers. They no longer have Kenny Pickett. He's out a few weeks with an ankle injury after having surgery. That matchup looks a lot different. Chiefs probably won't win that game. And then they finish with the Browns in Cincy 
against Dorian Thompson-Robinson or a Joe Flacco. So they could make a sneaky push to get into the playoffs now after beating the Jags. I think they lose last night. It's a bit too much to overcome. Uh, getting that win uh, was big, um, big for the team. Next NFL game I want to talk. Chiefs-Packers. Uh, this was a game I initially picked the Chiefs. I switched to the Packers last second. Taylor Swift was in attendance. Everybody talked about Taylor Swift, jumping on the Chiefs money line, Travis Kelsey prop bets, all enforcing. I thought this is Patrick Mahomes' first time in Lambeau Field. Um, why can't they do it? Uh, I thought they could. Uh, pull up a win, especially with how Jordan Love looked. A lot of people not giving Jordan Love credit. I thought, hey, this is a time for them, you know, to show up, and they did. Um, Jordan Love outplayed Patrick Mahomes. Now, I've seen quarterbacks outplay Patrick Mahomes, but this was, I thought, one of the better efforts this year. Jordan Love made some terrific throws in this game, especially the one to Christian Watson for a touchdown in the end zone. That throw was phenomenal. Uh, he threw for 267 yards, three touchdowns, QBR of 90, and a pass rating of 119 to Patrick Mahomes, 210 yards, a touchdown and interception, 53 QBR, and a pass rating of 79. And that interception he threw was terrible. It was right to the defensive back. Ugly interception. He now has 10 interceptions for the year, tied for fourth most in the NFL with Jordan Love, perhaps most of Jordan Love came in those you know, first six weeks, and Jordan Love has been playing a lot better since then. They were able to run the football officially 129 yards. This Chiefs defense we talked about, hey, allowed 382 total yards, 27 points to the Green Bay Packers. Um, Isaiah Pacheco ran efficiently, uh, but there were some plays in the game that I didn't like. You know, one of them was the Patrick Mahomes interception. Uh, wasn't a smart play there. Uh, the two-point conversion, I didn't like at all. Just a, kind of a hand pitch off to Pacheco. Uh, got nowhere. Thought that was a bad play design, play call. Uh, coaching right there. And then near the end of the game, you're trying to come back, and Isaiah Pacheco loses his cool and throws a punch at a defender. Legit throws a left hook. No place for that in the NFL. Uh, that cost you 15 yards. Uh just not smart, just a, a dumb move. Bush League got ejected right away, had to get him out of there. Uh, and I think those yards cost him because I think they got down. Let me check here real quick. I thought it was around the 30, 40 yard line where they had to pull off a Jalen Milrow type play. Yeah, it's a Green Bay 33. So if Isaiah Pacheco doesn't have a moment of idiocrity, they're probably around the Green Bay 15, 20 makes it a much more manageable, easier chance for Patrick Mahomes to throw a touchdown. Instead, it's a Hail Mary. And again, I'm not calling for a pass interference on the Hail Mary. People want to talk about it, but come on. If you're looking for a pass interference on the Hail Mary, it has to be egregious. It wasn't. I mean, people can stop. If your excuse is the Hail Mary pass interference, you didn't play well enough to win. You're a complete homer. You shouldn't be able to talk about football, allowed to talk about football, discuss football, if every week we see Hail Marys and no pass interference calls because the same thing happens. But you want to blame the refs because you want 
um, an excuse to blame why you failed. You can't look in the mirror, accept the facts. You got to point to something external. Excuses are for sorry-minded people. Uh, and I'm not saying the refs were great in this game. There were the last minute was brutal. Why? Because there's a rush from the passer on Patrick Mahomes. That shouldn't have been called. The hit was in bounds. The rules analyst said that call shouldn't have been. He was clearly in the field of play when the hit occurred. But what do we say? Since it's Patrick Mahomes, he will benefit from those calls. I see so many times we talked about Josh Allen uh, a week before playing the Eagles, got the horse collar tackle, uh, wasn't called. I see a bunch of plays in college where players are grabbed and flipped, you know, WWE style. They're not called. But if it's Patrick Mahomes, yeah, you get them ejected from the league. So, yeah, Patrick Mahomes benefits from those calls. So then on the next play when there's a pass interference that wasn't called, I don't feel too bad about it. Should it have been P.I.? Yes. Should that earlier one not have been uh, roughing the passer? Yes. So two missed calls in a row. And then uh, Patrick Mahomes uh, completes a pass, um, you know, I believe to uh, MVS. And MVS is going backwards, out of bounds. So that means the clock should run. They stop the clock. So there shouldn't have been that you know many plays left succeeding after that play. So just questionable referee. I can't blame the rest. What I can blame, Patrick Mahomes is the one who threw the only, contributed the only turnover. Uh, bad Isaiah Pacheco, some dumb penalties. Um, Green Bay played better. Jordan Love outplayed Patrick Mahomes. Um, it was just, you know, a great Sunday night game, I thought. Um, you know, a little mired by the rust there at the end. But it's the outcome. Green Bay outplayed Kansas City. You can't deny that. They outgained Kansas City. They were tied for first downs. They went for it on fourth downs, were aggressive. Um, they got it. Jordan Love was better. Running game was about the same. Uh, red zones, Green Bay converted more for touchdowns there. Um, controlled time of possession. Green Bay was the better team. Green Bay deserved to win. Don't want to hear the crap about the refs or Kansas City. Uh, you know, didn't deserve it. Next. Next, I want to talk about college football. Do want to get into this uh, before I talk any more NFL. Uh, because it is very controversial. A lot of opinions on this and, you know, where we stand in college football. Uh, so the top four was announced, and the top four uh, NFL teams to make the playoff was one, Michigan. It was two, Alabama, or two, Washington, three, Texas, and four, Alabama. So. You know, Michigan deserved to get at one, Washington at two, Texas I thought at three. But debate was Florida State and Alabama. So uh, Alabama got in at four over uh, Florida State, who is an undefeated Power 5 champion who won their ACC championship game. So I had this conundrum, you know, this debate, because I see both sides of it, uh, you know, should Florida State have gotten in over Alabama? Um, 
And it's interesting because you want the four best teams in. So when you look at the Vegas lines and how close these games are, it looks like clearly they got the best games in considering Georgia's, you know, 15-point favorites over Florida State. So if you're looking at it based on the four best teams and matchups, they got it right. Uh, But to me, there's this other uh, query of if you win all your games, you earn the spot in there. You can only play what's in front of you. Yes, you account for injuries, but you should have um, got in and made the playoffs. So, again, it's just this weird thing that Florida State uh, won their games. And I think resume is a good indicator um, of this. And, and, you know, it's so tight because – Florida State strength of record is three. Alabama's there is there at four. Alabama played a much tougher schedule, five to Florida State's, you know, fifty-five. And um, you know, you look at the efficiencies, Alabama a little bit more efficient than Florida State um throughout the regular season. So, you know, you have that, then you look at the uh Matchups for both teams, and you're like, you know, Florida State beat LSU in a neutral field more than Alabama beat LSU at home. Um, Florida State had a couple close wins. Uh, Boston College and Clemson uh, really, um, last two even with a backup second half, didn't really feel like near the end of the game comebacks were going to happen. Whereas Alabama... On the other hand, they did lose to Texas. Florida State didn't suffer a loss. Um, Alabama struggled with USF. I think Florida State, with their backup quarterback, could beat USF more than 17-3. to um, Alabama struggled to beat Texas A&M. Uh, struggled to beat Arkansas. Uh, and then barely survived on a play against Auburn. And then beat Georgia by three points. Um, so again... It, it's it's a tough call, um, you know, to make these judgments. You know, do I wish Florida State got in? Yeah, I think they are a good team. Uh, they have a good defense. Am I surprised they didn't get in? Um, no, because committee likes Alabama. And you know, I'll sh- I'll share this one conspiracy uh, with you all. For I don't know if any have seen it or read it, but I thought it was. Uh, pretty interesting. This is something I've kind of picked on, or I shouldn't say picked on, picked up on weekly. And that's in regards to um, the ESPN selection show. And if you watch, uh, you know, Kirk Herbstreet has four helmets that are visible every week um, for the ranking show. And usually every week, they're correct. He has the helmets um, there uh, that were going to be there. So, uh, you know, a lot of people are saying this is collusion um, for ESPN and the SEC. So here it is, and I'll just state some of the conspiracy to you. And if you want to buy this theory, it's up to you. So um, Kirk Herbstreet set 10 minutes before the official reveal of the eventual four CFP teams. So he had Michigan, Texas, Washington, 
Alabama, or actually in order, Michigan, Washington, Texas, Alabama. Um, you know, Kirk Herbstreet, you know, four days ago had Florida State there for him and switched it for this one. And to me, you know, I was looking at all these odds and predictions Saturday night after all the championship games were over, ESPN picks, all that. And it was about half and half Florida State and Alabama. But you look at all the odds, predictors, you know, Florida State was at minus 600, so an 85% chance to make a playoff. So virtual lock, Alabama was at a 35% chance. However, something happened between Saturday night, Sunday morning, on to bed around midnight. Um, I wake up Sunday morning around 9, an hour before the selection show. I'm reading stuff, and Alabama and Florida State have 50-50 odds to make the CFP. Um, so why did Bo's odds change drastically in a 12-hour window if nothing happened on the field to warrant such a dramatic movement of betting odds? However, off the field, ESPN really that night when I was watching it that morning ran coverage of 80% of their reporters making cases, predictions with Alabama in the playoff, excluding an undefeated Florida State um, because they have such a high, you know, high bias that they should have not have been in the playoff. So take with that what you will. I do think it's an interesting piece uh, that I read. Um, so, no, we'll see. And then when you look at the another ranking system I like is the SP+, which isn't a resume ranking, uh, but it's for your big wins, your scheduling. You know, it's more of a predictive and forward-facing, you know, thing measuring your offense, defense, special teams. And Alabama and Florida State had the exact same score rating, 23.7. Uh, Alabama touched better offensively. Florida State touched better defensively. So there you have it. Uh, but now the top four is set. Again, I feel terrible for Mike Norvell, Florida State. Do I feel like they should have got in? Yeah. However, Alabama was chosen. So Alabama plays Michigan, Washington plays Texas. So I think these are some great matchups. Um, you know, just at a high-level overview, of course, being a Michigan fan, I'm going to pick Michigan over Alabama. I think this is a tough matchup because Jalen Milrow is the X factor. However, we face better receivers than Alabama's face. We face the Marvin Harrison, the Buka, Fleming. Do they have Isaiah Bond and good receivers? Yeah, but our secondary is really good. I think our offenses, uh, in terms of scoring and production time of possession, are similar. Uh, Michigan has the edge in scoring. Alabama, the edge in yards. Third down conversions, exact same. Uh, sacks allowed. Michigan doesn't allow a lot of sacks. They're 33rd. Alabama, 125th. They allow and get Jalen Milrow gets hit a lot more. Tackles for loss, six for Michigan, Alabama, 100. So that could be a key in the game. And then defensively, Michigan is a much better defense than Alabama um, in terms of scoring and in terms of yards, third down conversions, fourth down conversions. The only thing that uh, Alabama does better with their edge rushers, Dallas Turner, is get to the quarterback more and have sacks. Tackles for losses, Michigan's way. Um, so I do think Michigan has the edge also in terms of team game, uh, possession, uh, near the top 10 in possession, Alabama 50th. Turnover margin, Michigan is second. Alabama 20th in penalties. Michigan, fewest penalized team, Alabama 56. So there are some factors there that I think credit Michigan in this game. You look at the SP+, Plus, this has been a pretty good indicator, I think, of winning the national championship. Georgia the past 
I had two years, um, Alabama the year before them, LSU. So it's kind of been good. Michigan right now is firm number one, uh, three points above Georgia offensively. Top 10, they're right there with Alabama. Again, I think that's very close. However, defensively, that's clearly Michigan ahead of everyone else, including Alabama. Special teams are about the same. So I think the edge there goes to Michigan. I think J.J. McCarthy is a good quarterback. It's the you know best second best quarterback they faced all year. I think Quinn Ewers is up there. They lost to them. I do think J.J. McCarthy is better than Carson Beck. But one of the top quarterbacks this defense has faced and then, you know, offenses face him, the best defense that Jalen Milrow will face this year. Um, and I think the looks and schemes they can put on him and this team is going to make for an intriguing matchup. Am I nervous? Yes, because it is Alabama and Nick Saban. However, I'm not overconfident, but I'm not mailing in the loss like some people are. I think this is going to be a competitive game. And then when I look at the other matchup, you know, Washington, in Texas, being played in the Sugar Bowl. I think that's the biggest edge there is Michigan. Got to the Rose Bowl, avoided the South, um, didn't have to play there, having that one seed beneficial for them, too. Uh, I think that site's big. Whereas Washington has to travel about 2,000 miles to play in the Sugar Bowl, where the Tigers play, LSU Tigers, which is much closer to Texas, so it could be a home game for Texas. So they kind of get uh, you know, screwed there, if you will, in terms of seeding and the fan base. Um, and Texas being a great team as well. However, um, even though Texas is a favorite, I give them a slight edge. But one thing that I think is the Achilles heel of this defense that it's been documented is the Texas secondary. Not good. What's the best thing about Washington? Michael Penix and the wide receivers. So could this be an air raid show? It very much well could. I think this is going to be a great game. I don't think Washington runs away with it or Texas runs away with it. Um, you know, right now I'm actually probably leaning Washington in this matchup because of that big, uh, disparity in that pass defense to the benefit of the Washington pass offense. Uh, but I think this is going to be a set of one of the best college playoff games we've ever seen. And I know people want to talk about the 19, uh, points per game difference that we have seen in the two semifinal games. The last year of the semifinal games were excellent. Michigan lost to TCU by six points in a nail-biter, and then Georgia beat Ohio State by one point final possession of a game. Both team games went down the wire. Um, so I think this will be very similar. Uh, two great games before we get next year's 12-team uh, playoff iteration. So definitely looking forward um, to that. Now returning to the NFL. want to talk about that, finish up there. So the Eagles beat... My bad. 49ers beat the Eagles. Smoked them. Uh, skunked them. Whatever you want to call it. 42-19. They scored a touchdown on six straight drives. They got their revenge. They wanted it. Debo Samuel, uh, main talker there, played great. Brock Purdy was efficient. Uh, Jalen Hurts of a running game uh, wasn't um, good enough uh, to where it was. So what did this do? It tightened up a playoff race in the NFC. So if Philly wins, I kind of said they would get that one seed. However, they lose. Now there's possibilities because Dallas now plays Philly. Uh, winner of that game are, you know, Dallas wins. They're both 10 and 3. San Francisco probably wins this week and moves to 10 and 3. Detroit probably wins this week and gets to 10 and 3. So you have four 10 and 3 teams 
and the playoff race could get really tight after this week in the NFC. And just the whole picture is tight because you have those teams, you have the NFC South playoff race, uh, Atlanta at six and six, Tampa Bay, New Orleans, both at five and seven. And then the wild card spot, you have Minnesota, Green Bay, Rams, Seattle, all at six and six, very close. And same with the AFC, you have a couple nine and three teams at the top, followed by eight and four. And then in the playoffs, you have three, seven, and five teams, followed by a team outside of the playoffs, Houston, seven and five, followed by a cluster of six and six teams. Who could spring and get in like the Bills? like the Bengals. So this playoff race is heating up. It's getting very good. I'm looking forward uh, to it. However, I need to rank my top 10 teams in NFL post week 13. So numbers 10 through 8 are a cluster of teams. Number 10, Houston Texans. Uh, Their number 10, CJ Stroud, uh, is playing as good as anybody right now. He is actually number one, surpassed Sam Howell in passing yards. He's got 20 touchdowns to five interceptions. The dude has been balling. The team has looked really good as well. I've got to give credit um, there to the Houston Texans. Uh, They're there sitting in a good spot at number uh, two in their division, a game behind the Jags. Number nine, another team from the NFC South, the Indianapolis Colts. They are there at seven and five. What do they have? They have a great offensive-minded head coach in Shane Steichen, who's getting the most out of his team and players. The scheme thinks this is a good team. Number eight, the final AFC South spot, and then we draw a line after this. So that's the Jacksonville Jaguars. Current, currently number one, uh, if Trevor Lawrence got injured, I think they injured more severe. I think they dropped power such. Since it is a high ankle sprain, I think they recover and can still finish as division leaders, however, these three teams are clearly the AFC South teams, 8-9-10. Then we get two teams I don't think can win the Super Bowl, and that is 5-7. Uh, through seven. seven, Kansas City Chiefs. Honestly, don't think they can win the Super Bowl. I'm calling it right now. They're not winning the Super Bowl. Offensively, uh, they have dropped still in the top 10, uh, but it's dropped defensively. They're top 5, so they're great. They're really good. However, the one thing that hinders them from making it is that if they're not playing a divisional opponent that they can come back on, like the Chargers and the Raiders, they can't come back from double digits like they had in the past. Um, again, when it's not sorry divisional opponents or when we're playing divisional opponents, um, they're playing NFC teams. Uh, guess what? They've lost to the Packers this year. They have lost to the uh, Lions this year. Number six, Detroit Lions. Much as I hate to say it, yeah, you're not making the playoffs. Uh, when you're up 21-0, the game should not be close going to a nail-biter into the game. I'm sorry. Uh, defense is holding it back, but this offense is brilliant. One of two teams with 400 yards per game um, that average. Balance, two in terms of passing and running the football. This offense is really good. The defense continues to slip week after week after week, which is holding this team back inconsistent back there. But offensively, they're the second-best offense in the league, hands down. Number five, the next team that I think can't win the Super Bowl, but really good, the Miami Dolphins. They are the number one offensive team, uh, scoring 32 points per game. Second of that, yards, 430 yards. 
they are very good. And then defensively, improving to where maybe they could make my Super Bowl uh, tier, but they're just not there yet. Uh, see if the injury to Jalen Phillips lasts long uh, to where it impacts the team that much. But, you know, Vic Fangio slowly getting this unit together. Um, back there, Jalen Howard. My bad. Combined two people there. Jalen Ramsey and Xavier Howard. Two good corners. Defense coming up. Now we get to my four teams who can win the Super Bowl. Number four, the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Dallas Cowboys are top five offensively and defensive team in the NFL. Dak Prescott is playing like an MVP. To me, he is the MVP favorite. Uh, leading the league in some passing statistics, really split with Brock Purdy there. Uh, but this offense is in fires. Again, Dak is great. The connection with CeeDee Lamb, sensational. Um, again, defense, Micah Parsons, Deron Bland. Uh, hopefully he doesn't have to meet Seattle again. But very good, very good team who can blow you up and can win close games now too. Number three, San Francisco 49ers. Uh, they are top five offensive and defensive team. In the NFL, Brock Purdy is playing great MVP candidate, but surrounded with all-star weapons, Pro Bowl, Hall of Famers on his team. This is the most stacked roster who just beat the Eagles at Merritt 9-3. and three. Uh, They're at three. So many people have them as their number one team now, uh, hyping up the 49ers. However, I'm not quite there yet. Number two, the Baltimore Ravens. So these two teams actually played in a few weeks, and my early bet would be on the Ravens. Uh, to win this game. So Ravens are coming off a bye week. I think it helps uh, them, you know, getting Lamar back to 100%, uh, limping after the past few weeks. But they are, again, top 10 team offensively and defensively, second best um, in terms of yards and number one actually in points. This is a great defensive unit. Mike McDonald, great coordinator. And Lamar Jackson is playing great, very versatile, isn't, you know, whopping uh, passing to statistics, but efficient. Um, I don't think he's going to win at the MVP, but he can lead his team to a number one seed. Which leads me to number one, the Philadelphia Eagles. You might be thinking, Josh, how can you put the Philadelphia Eagles at one? Well, they just got blown out by the Niners. So, yes, they did. Uh, defense is dropping for them offensively. They're still good. However, I still think they're working through some things on offense. Yes, they lost two coordinators, but you don't get to 10-1. and one to luck, or now 10-2. and two. Uh, Could they lose this game to Dallas this weekend? Yes, could I drop them farther? But this team has shown time and time again that they can win close games, just win games in general, uh, because they are a talented uh, group, well-coached group by Nick Sirianni that seem to rebound and find the right answers. And I'm not quitting throwing them out the window like so many people have after this week. It's people that were high on Eagles have thrown them out the window now lowering their chances, and really elevating the Niners to the top. I still believe in the Eagles, and I believe if there was a rematch, that score would not be the same. Highly doubt it would be. I'd probably pick the Eagles in the rematch. A lot of talk in their external motivation for the Niners. They delivered. I think Eagles would get the next one if those two teams were to play. So there you have it. That is my top 10 teams in the NFL. This has been Unbothered. I'll talk to you all later. Bye, everybody.